This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome to the first episode of the Parenting ADHD podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and to get started with this great uh, way to really share what I know about parenting kids with ADHD effectively. So in this first intro episode, I just want to talk a little bit about my story what I have gone through, what my son has gone through, our family, and where that has led me um, to instruct parents and to write about ADHD and to offer classes and so forth. So I wanted you to get a really good background of who I am and why I do what I do. So first of all, my son started out when he was preschool age, he did not go to preschool, but we um, we thought that he was just a really active little boy, you know? He was just all boy and rambunctious and, you know, really active, but that's all we really knew. And then he started kindergarten. And by day two of kindergarten, the teacher was calling me and asking me to come in after school for a meeting. And I thought, well, you know, he just, he's never been in a classroom. So how is he supposed to know how to handle himself? And he's only had two days to try to figure that out. So of course, you know, things are not going excellent yet, but you just have to give him time. That's what I thought. And we sat down and she told me about how he couldn't write his name and he flung scissors all over the place and he was bouncing around. He just wanted to do whatever he wanted to do in the classroom and not follow instructions and that he had even kind of popped up like a jack-in-the-box and bonked her in the chin and hurt her that day. And so she wanted to let me know that his behavior was inappropriate and we needed to do something about it, basically. There was no um, suggestion of any sort of evaluation, suggestion of anything else that might be going on. Um, The insinuation was 100% that we had not prepared him yet for school. We did not do our job to get him ready to start kindergarten, and so now we had work to do as his parents, right? And that really continued all through kindergarten, and it only got worse. And it was, at that point, the most stressful time, I think, in my entire life. And I just didn't know what to do. And I thought, it has to be this teacher. It has to be this school. It was a charter school. The teacher was pregnant when the school year started. And in late December, She went on maternity leave, had her baby, and came back two months later, but she brought her infant into the classroom every hour of every day. So there was an infant in this classroom with 18 kindergartners 
who were asked to remain quiet and calm and to constantly watch out for the baby. And so we moved him to a different school. We went back to our regular public school. Um, my daughter had been there in kindergarten and then moved to this charter school because she was um, really advanced and we thought maybe it was a better fit. And it was a decent fit for her, but the problem was that the school administration was making these crazy decisions that I thought were not in the best interest of their students and in the interest of learning. So we pulled them both out of the school and we sent them to our district public elementary school. And um, we were so, so fortunate to get a wonderful first grade teacher for my son. I call him Ricochet when I talk about him or write about him publicly. That is definitely not his name. People have asked um, before why I was so cruel to name him Ricochet. I did not. His um, four-year-old soccer coach had come to us at the beginning of the very first soccer practice um, that he'd ever had because he was four and said, I'm going to call him Ricochet because he just ping, ping, ping all over the place which was true, and we had no idea how um, prophetic and insightful what he had said to us really was, you know. Um, so we went to first grade. We had the most phenomenal teacher who was really into differentiated instruction. She really understood learning differences. She understood that every kid was different and that her classroom was going to be diverse. And she worked really hard to reach every student where they were. But the problem was that even after four or six weeks there with her, with this miraculous teacher, Ricochet was still having a ton of trouble. He was still not able to sit still. He was still not able to attend. He was still struggling with handwriting. He was not uh, reading where he should have been at that point. He was not reading at all still. Um, and so we said, all right, what's going on here? There has to be something else. It was not the other school. It was not the other teacher, at least not in full, their problem. So what was it? What were we missing? Um, and so that wonderful first grade teacher, she submitted him for a response to intervention, RTI, and they started meeting and strategizing what they could do to help Ricochet in the classroom. And I took him straight to the pediatrician, and I said, I don't understand, but there has to be something here that we're missing because the disconnect is crazy. And we could tell that he was super duper smart, very, very intelligent. That was clear before he started kindergarten, and his birthday isn't until October 16th. So when he started kindergarten, he was four years old for a couple of months, and we just saw how smart he was, and I also have an October birthday. I also started at four, and I did fine. So I thought, well, you know, he's intelligent enough to do this without problem, which was definitely a mistake, and, and I'll talk about how we righted that wrong a little bit later in our story. But so the pediatrician, of course, gave us a referral for an evaluation um, with a developmental and behavioral um, MD, medical doctor. So um, 
It was definitely a specialist. We had to wait, I believe it was about three months before we even got in to have that evaluation. And once in there, he spent, I guess, about 30 minutes with Ricochet. He did look him over physically. He gave him a physical exam. He did some activities with him. He talked a little bit with him. He'd already had our Connors rating scales from parents and teachers. He already had some work samples of ricochets to look over before our appointment. So he came in knowing a little bit. Um, and, you know, within 45 minutes or so of arriving, he looks at me and he says, your son has ADHD. And I was floored because in this three months, that we were waiting for this appointment. Of course, I was in the library and I was Googling and I was trying to figure out what in the world was going on with my kid and why he was struggling so much in the classroom. And I found, you know, giftedness could be the answer. I found that learning disabilities could be the answer. But ADHD didn't seem to fit in our minds because there were things that he could sit down and enjoy for a small period of time. So we thought, well, if he can attend at all, it can't be ADHD because that's an attention deficit, right? So I was completely taken aback by the ADHD diagnosis. He handed me about three or four fact sheets and he said, I wanna give you a prescription. And I'm like, really, already medication? We just met you, we just now in the last 30 seconds found out that this is ADHD and you're telling me that I already need to put him on medicine. Um, and his point, and, and it was valid for sure, was that the teacher, because she was so fantastic, was already implementing behavior modification um, with him with very little result. And we were already doing a lot of that at home without really realizing it as well. So we had already kind of gone through that first initial step to try to address things without medication and weren't successful with it. Of course, I left without the prescription because I was just a deer in headlights at that point. I had no idea, you know, I didn't know anything about ADHD medication other than what the public understands it to be, which is that you're doping your child into submission. And I was like, I'm not doing that to my kid. And I came home and Ricochet's dad was like, we're not doing that to our kid. And so I just fell apart. I'm like, here I am. I have this diagnosis that I don't understand, and I don't know what to do. I have this offer of a prescription that scares the crap out of me, and I don't want to follow through with that. And I just was kind of dumbfounded. I was paralyzed because I didn't have the correct information that I needed, and I was fearful and anxious and stressed out and thinking that, you know, my son is just going to have this really hard, terrible life. And, you know, I took a couple days and I wallowed in that self-pity. I let myself be upset. I don't think I really let myself. I think, you know, it overwhelmed me and I didn't really have a choice in that. But then after a couple days of his dad and I both thinking about the fact that we really desperately wanted to help him and that medication might be worth a try. Um, and I'll tell you, up to this point, Ricochet was a pretty sad little kid. He was always crying. He was always feeling defeated, like he never could possibly... Um, 
meet expectations. He was constantly in trouble or he was constantly, you know, reprimanded about not acting age-appropriate and not following instructions. So this was a kid who was really very sad. Um, and, you know, we were his parents who were desperate to help him. And so with that little bit of time, you know, two or three days to really accept, kind of let everything sink in, really think hard about how much he needed help and how much that medication could possibly be the right thing for him, that we decided it was definitely worth a try. And so a couple days after diagnosis, I called the the doctor's office and I said, okay, we're going to try the medication. Can I come pick up a prescription? And so that's what we did. And we started down that path. And at first it was really hard. He really had um, a lot of emotional reaction to medication and a lot of rebound. So it took some tweaking. We tried several different medications and dosages and finally landed um, on Concerta for a while. And once we got Concerta, it was like the heavens opened up and magic poured out over our child. He was a completely different child, but in a good way. He was still himself. He was still bubbly and fun and active, but he could actually focus on playing Legos or an activity that he wanted to do. He was able to succeed at doing his work in school, and even his handwriting, which was completely illegible, was much more clear when he was on Concerta, and we thought, this is magic. This was the answer, and we're so glad we stuck it out and got here, and we started to feel like, okay, things are going to be okay, but what happened, um, of course, because things can't always be very simple, at least in our lives, was that Concerta would work for about 60 days and then become suddenly ineffective. And so we would go back to the doctor, and he would bump it up a little with a lot of trepidation because it was affecting his appetite. It was affecting his weight. And we would have 60 miraculous, wonderful days again. And then there we would go. We would slide right back off of that into almost no effect whatsoever from the medication. And it was really heartbreaking. I mean, I can't even tell you how devastating it is to see your child succeed finally and then realize that it's not going to hold, it's not going to stick. Um, that doctor told me that I just needed to accept the way things were, the way that he got a little bit of benefit out of the medication, that we could not sustain that wonderful 60 days each time and that we just had to accept it and get over it. And I thought, you know, I have seen how wonderful when treatment works, how wonderful that is for him. And why should I accept that we can't have that? Because we see that we can have it sometimes. So why are we not looking for how to um, extend that, how to make that his reality for um, the long haul? And 
you know, this doctor was also really hard to get in with. He was really difficult to, you know, call in and say, we're having this trouble and what can we do? You know, sometimes it took a week or two to get a call back when we were having really significant medication issues. So I began to look for someone else to to see for this. And we ended up at a mental health office because our insurance had changed and we finally could do that and um, have some insurance coverage for it. And started seeing the pediatrician, the uh, mental health pediatrician that they had in their therapy office. And he was phenomenal. He had already probably been in medicine for, I would say, at least 30 years, if not more. Um, Probably should have already been retired, but there he was, still working a few days a week. And he was willing to accept what I was saying, first of all. He heard me when I gave him feedback, and he also was willing to try a lot of different things. You know, what medication can we try that we haven't, or what medication could we add to Concerta to try to help um, extend that useful period? And it took probably another two years with him, a lot of really bad medication trials, but we ended up with a combination that worked for Ricochet for about two years. Um, And it was the addition of this old influenza medication of all things called amantadine. And it's actually now prescribed for Parkinson's. It is no longer used for influenza because the strain of the flu virus changes and it, that, that strain that it, um, that it worked for no longer exists. So it's just this little known medicine that because our doctor had been doing this for so long, he knew about it and he was able to prescribe it and try it. And that was wonderful for a really long time. Unfortunately for Ricochet, it built up in his system and it caused um, some severe fear episodes that took us probably eight or nine months to even figure out that it was that medicine. Um, So some really, really hard times through fifth grade, sixth grade. Um, And now, you know, he's 14 now. This was eight years ago, but he, um, he's really come to a place with, I guess, through puberty and through some maturity and self-awareness and self-regulation where a moderate dose of Concerta is moderately effective. Higher doses, um, increases anxiety. He's just too sensitive to be able to function with higher doses. So we've come to a point after many years and many trials that this is what works for us, you know, and um, we're in a really good place. And and it's not just about the medication, it's about a whole lot of things. But so when we started out on this journey, we went to first grade and things were still a real stressful, unsuccessful school experience, we, um, I started writing. I I just started a blog. Just, I said, okay, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to put my story out there and I'm going to hope upon hope that some other parent who's had the same experience is going to find me and tell me what the heck is going on. This was before the ADHD evaluation, before the diagnosis. I just started telling our story online and hoping that someone would find me and help me. Um, 
That did not happen before the diagnosis, but as soon as we got that diagnosis and I started writing about ADHD, moms and dads from all over the place started reading the blog and commenting and being very supportive and very helpful, sharing their experiences and um, truly, truly so valuable for us. I don't know where we would be if that had been still a very isolating experience. I at least had people online who could show me that it wasn't my bad parenting, it wasn't anything that we did or didn't do, it just was, and and they started to point me in the right direction, and I started finding good books and resources like Attitude Magazine, and started learning as much as I could about ADHD. But since I had these parents there who were interacting with me, who seemed to get something out of what I was learning and, and sharing on my blog, and they were certainly helping me as well. It was a great um, give and take relationship, you know, a, a super win-win for everyone. So I just continued. I just continued to share what I was learning, to share our experiences with medication trials and some successes, and it ended up really taking off. That was the A Mom's View of ADHD website. I started that one originally back in 2008 and ended up with you know, a pretty big audience. And then I got onto Facebook and started a page there for support for parents and sharing, you know, my blog posts and what else I was doing online. And suddenly we had thousands of parents on this Facebook page who were helping each other. And it was just phenomenal. And so I really just kept on with kind of being obsessed about ADHD and sharing that and realized after quite some time that I was really, um, it was kind of a detriment to my family for me to be so obsessed with ADHD. You know, I was spending all day when I should have been working. I was researching ADHD. I was writing about ADHD. I was, um, you know, buying books and reading books, and we would go to ricochets therapy appointments and the therapist, you know, I would sit down and say, ooh, I learned this out of this book today and I read this article and I would come in with, you know, at least two books in my hands every single time about ADHD. And she finally said to me, this is really unhealthy and I need to put you on some self-help restriction and I don't want you reading anything about ADHD for a month, which of course didn't happen because I was a mom obsessed, right? But what did happen was about two weeks of time that I was not completely immersed every moment. I tried really hard not to talk about ADHD at the dinner table because, you know, my husband would come home, we'd sit down at dinner, and I'd say, ooh, I read this today and that today, and I met this person online who has this exact same experience, and, you know, I, that was exciting to me, but... It was overwhelming. All we thought and talked about was this big negative thing called ADHD, and that was not at all an appropriate approach to raising a child with ADHD. This kid needed to know what he was good at and that he had value, and we were not giving him that by constantly focusing on ADHD. 
And that was a hard lesson for me to learn because I felt like my obsession with ADHD was really doing everything that I possibly could for him. And it turns out that it wasn't. Um, and it took me a long time to figure that out. And so here I was finally trying to, or finally um, getting a grip on the fact that it couldn't be about ADHD all the time. And so I gave up the A Mom's View blog and um, I gave it up to someone else because I wanted it to continue. I wanted you know, all the parents who were there and really getting good support and information out of it to continue to have that resource. But I wanted to take a step back from ADHD because I felt like that's what I needed to do for my family and for my son. And I had come to a place where I realized that positive parenting was a better approach. You know, um, Ned Hallowell's book, Super Parenting for ADD, really helped me to realize that we had to focus on the positive, we had to focus on his strengths, we had to focus on his interests. That was what was gonna build him up and make him a successful and confident kid and give him the possibility of having a great life despite having ADHD in adulthood. Um, and so I just completely almost shut myself off from ADHD for a while, which is surprising as immersed as I am now, I'm sure, but um, it really was that break that we needed for our family so that we could really spend all of our efforts focusing on the good stuff as much as we possibly could and really kind of reorienting our parenting compass so that we could help him to recognize and nurture his strengths and interests. And that was a really good thing for us to do. But what I found was that I just kept getting pulled back to the community of parents. I really um, felt a strong connection and I felt very passionate about helping these kids. I, you know, you hear all the time, so many people don't even believe that ADHD is a real thing. And think about all the kids who are just getting punished and punished and it's no fault of their own and they can't help it and they're not getting any sort of positive messages. And I, I just can't stand the thought of these kids out there struggling and suffering and wanted to do more about it. And that's when I started thinking that I really wanted to write books. Um, that was a dream of mine since I was a kid, to be an author, to be a published author and have books. And so I thought, you know, I, I have all of the stuff that I'd written in the blog over two or three years, and that was certainly a lot of good material. And, you know, sharing my story was so helpful to so many people, so why not do that? And write a book and see what happens. And I did, and it was great, and I've had such wonderful feedback from it. That was Boy Without Instructions, which really was just a lot of my blog posts and, and our story of me learning how to parent this kid. Our first three years or so, maybe four years of just trying to figure it out, just getting through that learning curve and sharing that struggle with other people who are also struggling so they know that it's normal and it's okay and lots of people are going through it, not just them. Then I went on, I said, you know, the one thing that I wished I had 
starting out when Ricochet was diagnosed with ADHD was some sort of guidebook. Why was nobody telling us what we really needed to know? It took me two or three years of being completely obsessed to get to a point where I felt like I was finally starting to have a positive effect on this kid to really help him to manage his ADHD, to cope with it, to have strategies to work around weaknesses that were not going to change. Um, and there just isn't, you know, you get the what to expect when you're expecting books, and then they made toddler books and infant books, and, you know, you have all these really great detailed guides for neurotypical parenting, but there was nothing like that, nothing step-by-step for ADHD. And that's where the idea for my second book came in, what to expect when parenting kids with ADHD. I felt like, you know, when I looked back on all these experiences that we had had, I looked back at all the information, what was good information, what was not, and I thought, you know, there really was kind of a step-by-step that would have been ideal for us starting out with that diagnosis, a step-by-step that I certainly did not have access to if it even existed at all. And so that's what I wrote down. I wrote those nine steps. I organized them. I put all the research in there, a little of our experiences. And I said, this is how to get parents from struggling to being on the right track, to having some successes, to um, seeing their kids succeed and having some joy in our families. And that was the catalyst for the book. And then you know, eventually that led me last year to create an online course for parents. Um, in regard to that book, you know, it uses those nine steps, but then it also pulled in every other thing I've learned about parenting kids with ADHD successfully. It pulled in all the information that I'd learned from the adults that I surveyed and talked to for the Insider's Guide to ADHD. It had everything from what to expect, but it was me, or is, you know, the course is still available, of course, it's me um, on these training videos, walking you through it, talking you through it, um, sharing more experience where it's applicable, and that has really been helpful for some families, and I really, um, I feel so fortunate to be able to share all of this information and all of these experiences to try to lift other people up, other kids, other parents. Um, You know, so many people are out there struggling with ADHD, with high-functioning autism, and learning disabilities, and I just want to positively affect that. I want to help you guys to get to a better place, to help your kids be successful and happy, and to help you as parents not be so stressed. Um, That's really, you know, that's my mission. That's why I have ParentingADHDAndAutism.com. That's why I created the Parenting ADHD and Autism Academy with the online courses. Um, And that's why I started this podcast. I feel like I want that personal connection. You know, I'm coaching and mentoring some parents now as well, and I really enjoy having that personal connection with you guys and helping you go, you know, step by step through it. So that is really what has led me now to the podcast. I feel like, you know, you hearing my voice, hearing me talk about this stuff 
gives you more of kind of a personal feeling than just reading a blog post or an article or a book that I have put together. So that's why we're here. And that's, you know, why I do what I do. Um, like I said, Ricochet is 14 now. He's in eighth grade. Um, we did have him repeat fourth grade. Every year just got worse and worse, and fourth grade was a catastrophe. And the gap between him and his peers was just so, so big, so huge, and felt like it was impossible to bridge. He, you know, of course, ADHD is a developmental disorder, so here he is already two to three years behind his peers in skills and maturity and emotional regulation and self-regulation. And then he's really almost a year younger calendar age-wise than the kids in his class too. And that was just too much of a burden. And so we requested that he repeat fourth grade and we actually met some resistance to that because he intelligence-wise was pretty much on grade level and everything except um, writing because he does have dysgraphia, which is a written expression and handwriting learning disability. And so, you know, that was a real challenge that was obvious, but his intelligence was so obvious too, and the school felt like that the emotional toll of repeating a grade in fourth grade was going to be worse for him than just pushing on. And we felt completely the opposite. And we had gone to the family weekend at SOAR, which is a summer camp and gap year program um, for kids with ADHD here in North Carolina, a wonderful program that I cannot recommend enough. Um, and during the family weekend, the kids would go out on these great adventures and the parents would meet with Big John, who's the director of the camp and the program, and talk about, you know, strategies to help our kids and what we're struggling with. And as soon as we mentioned that we were considering the possibility of holding him back in fourth grade. Everyone at the table, all 14 other families, Big John, the psychologist that the camp um, um, uses, you know, works with on occasion, was there too, and they all said, repeat the grade and do it now. He's getting old enough that you're not going to want to do this later, and it really is crucial. It really will help so much. And a good bit of their kids were older, and so they had more of this experience. And I tell you what, we left that weekend, and we both looked at each other and said, we are absolutely going to have him repeat this grade. We're going to request it. We're going to push for it. This is the right thing to do. We just knew that it was the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, the principal did not want to retain him. And she was wonderful, and she really understood him better than most people in our school experiences. But at the same time, you know, there are those studies out there that say retention harms kids socially and emotionally, but does no benefit because that's such an overwhelming negative. But those studies don't look at kids with learning disabilities and developmental delays. And so, you know, we just felt so strongly about it. And we ended up moving to a new school district that summer. And once I let the principal from the old school know, she immediately wrote the letter. She felt like that really 
was removing that social stigma for him. He wasn't going to be in the same school with all the kids who had moved forward, and he hadn't. And she wrote that recommendation letter, and he did repeat fourth grade. It is one of the best decisions we have ever made for him. It was phenomenally helpful. The bullying was greatly reduced. Um, he felt a little more successful comparing himself to the kids in his class who now he was a little bit older than and only a little bit behind instead of, you know, this great chasm of space between him and his, his classmates. Um, so that was, you know, a really, really great decision for him. And these are the kind of experiences that I share. You know, so many families of kids with ADHD go through the exact same thing. They say, I really think my kid re needs to repeat a grade, but the school is really refusing. What do I do? And, you know, I have that experience to say it can work. It can be super successful and not at all a negative thing. Um, and so, you know, that really brings us kind of full circle with our story and what we um, have gone through and why I share our experiences. I really am very much an open book, which is kind of ironic because I have severe social anxiety and anxiety in general. So for me to get out there and talk to other people is insanely hard. And I think that's why I wrote so much. It was a way to share without really having to talk to strangers, which, you know, I'm 42 and I'm scared to talk to strangers. But, you know, that's my thing. We all have our thing. We all are our own messes in different ways, but nobody's perfect. And so, you know, over time, I've really kind of, this has helped me with that barrier. It's helped me a little bit because now I say, I really have something valuable to share. I always felt like, you know, other people, um, I wasn't worthy of being with them. I wasn't on the same level. They had more money or they had more um, intelligence or they were more educated or whatever. You know, in my mind, I catastrophized all of it. And so this was um, something for me to help me break through that shell a little bit. And that's been a really good blessing as well. So on this podcast, we are going to discuss um, an enormous amount of things. We're going to discuss ADHD. I'm sure that high-functioning autism will come up some. Ricochet was given that additional diagnosis at age 12. Um, we will talk about learning disabilities. You know, people with ADHD, I believe the statistic is 80%. 80% of those with ADHD have a coexisting condition. Anxiety, depression, learning disabilities, um, mood disorders, you name it, there are a lot of possibilities. And the majority of people with ADHD also have something else going on. So we're going to talk about all those possibilities as well. And those impacts on ADHD functioning, but also on the family. You know, we'll talk a lot about parenting strategies. We will talk a lot about um, siblings. I have a daughter who is three and a half years older than Ricochet. Her life has been greatly changed because of his conditions and um, what that experience entails in our family. Um, she also has 
some pretty extreme anxiety. Um, I'm sure she inherited some of it, but she um, at times could have panic attacks when she felt like he might have a meltdown in public. So, you know, it, it has definitely, that experience has increased the severity of her anxiety, I feel certain. I think, you know, later when she's an adult, she gets some space and some reflection. She will find that there were also benefits to having a sibling with special needs, but um, that is something that uh, we really need to talk a lot about too for those of you who have other kids as well as your child with ADHD or high-functioning autism. We're going to talk about lots of parenting strategies. We will discuss positive parenting a ton because that is my, um, that's my focus. That is where I feel like you are most effective in parenting your child is from a positive parenting perspective. And there's so much that goes into that. That is a big umbrella with a lot of things underneath. So we will talk a bunch about that. That also leads to talking about your child's personal truth and how powerful honoring what's true for them really is. Understanding where your expectations should be because they are developmentally delayed. Um, that plays a huge role in the success of your relationship with your child and in their future success. So we will discuss that a lot, a lot of strategies for positive parenting. We will discuss um, helping kids nurturing their interests and talents and passions. We will talk a lot about school because that is certainly a battle. That is the one area where we still struggle the most. And a lot of it has to do with um, the lack of knowledge about ADHD and being twice exceptional, gifted, but still disabled um, in the classroom and um, advocating for your child. We'll talk about the um, disability laws idea in Section 504 and how to get accommodations and, you know, just a really, really wide variety of things that you need to know that will help you in implementing um, parenting that works for your kids, you know. We'll talk about discipline and consequences and um, what might work better because that certainly is not the best approach or the most effective approach for kids with ADHD. So, so, so much to talk about. I already have a list of 24 topics for 24 episodes of this podcast, and I am just super, super excited to be able to talk with you guys. I will be interviewing others in the industry, professionals, um, therapists, psychologists, doctors, you name it anyone coaches that I feel like um, really has some great insights to share, they will be featured on the podcast as well. So right now, I am going to end the intro episode. The next episode will be ADHD 101. That will be me again, alone, just sharing all the information, kind of that basis background information that you need so that everything else we talk about makes sense to you.
So with that, I'm wrapping up today. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to having you on the podcast following along for uh, many weeks to come, and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.